3. L. Growing on the backs of the sheep. Your ears can never be so keen as that, but there are many, many happy outdoor sounds that you should listen for. They will help to make you happy. 2. Careful listening may sometimes save your life. You can hear the car or the train coming, and you can learn to tell from which direction a sound comes. You can learn to tell one sound from another in the midst of many sounds, in more ways than you can think of now. This habit of listening will protect you from danger. The Germans had a proverb, hear much and say little. What does it mean? I I I. Seeing and reading you can learn a great deal through your ears, but think how much more you can learn through your eyes. Just count over all the things that you have had to get your eyes to tell you today, and then shut your eyes for a minute and think what it would mean never to be able to see. Don't you think you ought to take very good care of your eyes? You are going to keep them very busy all your life, and they deserve the very best care you can give them. Just as soon as lessons begin, you get out your books, and a good share of the day in school you have a book before you, reading it or studying it or copying from it. It makes a great difference to your eyes how you hold the book and how the light falls. In reading, you should always hold your book so that the light falls upon the page from behind you, or from over one of your shoulders. In this way, the brightest light that comes into your eyes is not from the window, but from the page of your book. If the light comes from a window in front of you, or if you sit in the evening with your face toward the lamp when you read, the light coming straight from the lamp or the window, as well as the light coming up from the pages of the book, pours into your eyes, and this dazzles and confuses your eyes, so that you can't see plainly and comfortably and are very likely after a while to find that your head aches. At home, of course, you can seat yourself with your back to the light when you read, and usually at school your seats are so arranged that the light falls from behind you or from one side, if not, by turning a little in your seat, you can get the light from over your shoulder. Notice how the light falls upon the blackboard, when the light comes from the windows behind you, or from one side, you can see what is written there quite plainly, but if the blackboard happens to be between two windows, and especially if this is the lightest side of the room, you will find that the light dazzles you so that you cannot see the writing clearly, you must have noticed, too, that if, after you have been reading from the blackboard you look down again suddenly to the page of your book. For an instant you will not see the letters plainly. Then, almost before you have time to notice it, you feel a little change take place inside your eyes, and the print upon the page of your book becomes quite plain. This is because your eye has to change the shape of one of the parts inside it, called the lens, before you can see clearly the things that are near you. This change, which is called accommodation, is made by a little muscle of the eye, and if you keep your eyes working at close work, like reading or writing or fancy work, too long at a time, or if your eyes need glasses to make them see clearly, and you haven't them on, this little muscle becomes tired, then the print of your book, or your writing, or the stitches you have taken begin to blur before your eyes, your eyes begin to feel tired, and your head begins to ache, this is what we call eye strain, sometimes this eye strain upsets your appetite or your digestion and makes you sleepless and worried, the trouble may be caused by your own carelessness, you may have been reading too long, or in a poor light, or with the light shining right in your face instead of coming over your shoulder, but sometimes it is caused by the fact that your eyes are not just the right shape, and then the only way to relieve it is to have proper glasses, or spectacles, fitted, which will make up for this too flat or too round shape, or too large or too small size, of your eyes, 
if you cannot see clearly what is written on the blackboard when the light falls upon it from behind you, or above, or if, in a good light, you cannot read the words in your book quite easily, without straining at all, when you hold the book either at arm's length or a foot from your face, or if your head aches or your eyes begin to feel tired or uncomfortable, or the letters begin to blur, after you have read steadily say, for half an hour, it is a pretty sure sign that there is some trouble with your eyes, then you had better have them examined at once by your family doctor or by the school doctor, in many schools now there are doctors to test the children's eyes, and ears, too, so that each child may have a chance to see and hear everything that the other children can see and hear, not very many years ago people thought that glasses were only for old people, but now we know that many children's eyes need glasses, too, I knew a little girl whose sight was so poor that when she was standing and looked down at the grass, she couldn't see the green blades, she thought that the grass looked like a green blur to everyone, just as it did to her, and so she never said anything about it, she was 12 or 13 years old before she found out that she couldn't see clearly, of course, trying hard to see things gave her a headache and made her tired and cross, so someone took her to a doctor, and he saw at once what was the matter and fitted her with glasses, soon she was quite well and strong, and how glad she was to see the leaves and a hundred other things she had not seen before. Illustration, the eyeball in its socket the muscle from M to M which helps to turn the eyeball, has been cut away to show the optic nerve. Here we have a picture of the eyeball, as we call it. The little bands fastened to it are the bands of muscle, and as soon as I say muscle you know what they are for to move the eyeball about, up and down and from side to side. There are muscles outside the eye as well as inside. Coming out from the back of the eyeball is a pearly white cord quite different from the muscle bands. This is what we call a nerve. This nerve in your eye carries to your brain, or thinking machine, picture messages of whatever you look at. The nerve in your eye gets messages of light much as the nerve deep in your ear gets its messages of sound from tiny waves in the air. The light waves are smaller and faster even than the sound waves, and the eye nerve is the only nerve that can get pictures of them. You know that. For wireless messages. The receiving machines are not all alike and cannot all take the same messages. If the messages are sent with different sorts of electric waves, and neither can our receiving machines, some get messages of sight, and some of sound, and some of touch, or taste, or smell. Now shut your eyes as quickly as you can. How long did it take you? A minute? Remember not a quarter of a second. It is about the quickest thing you can think of, the twinkling of an eye. You shut your eyes, quick as a wink, whenever anything seems likely to fly or splash into them. And this is what the eyelids are for. If anything gets into the eye before the lids can shut, the eye, waters, and tears pour out of it. These are made by a gland sponge up under the upper lid, so as to wash any dust or sand or other harmful speck out of the eye before it can hurt the sensitive eyeball. Now look at someone's eyeball. It is like the picture, isn't it? Bright white around the edge and then a ring of color brown or blue or gray, and inside the color ring, or iris, a little round black hole that we call the pupil, watch the little hole change as you turn the face toward the window, it becomes ever so much smaller, now turn the face away from the window, back again into the shadow, how did the pupil change this time, the iris, or color ring, acts like a curtain, like the ring shutter of a camera, and closes up the hole, or pupil, when the light is too bright and would dazzle or burn the inside of the eye, but when the light is dim, the iris opens again, so as to let in light enough with which to see. Look at the little window in your kitten's eyes, 
it is not the same shape as yours, but when you carry her to the light, you see how the iris closes in and leaves just a little black slit or line, you remember the blind children, isn't it wonderful how they can play games and study, too, even though they are blind, they have to make their senses of touch and hearing tell them many things that you learn through your sense of sight, many of these children need not have been blind, If the nurse who first took care of them when they were born had known enough to wash their eyes properly, not with soap and water, of course, but with just one or two drops of a kind of medicine in antiseptic, as we call it that makes the eye perfectly clean, but you children who have good eyes that can see, do you really see things when you look at them? You can train your eyes just as you can train your ears, you can teach them to read quickly down a page, and to find things in pictures, and, better still, to see things out of doors, in the garden and the woods and on the seashore, we hear a great deal about, sharp eyes, but most of us see very little of all we might see, our eyes are on the lookout, too, to protect us from dangers that may come, with our skin and nose and ears, they are constantly on the watch, so the better we see the safer we are, even if your eyes are perfect now, you will need to take good care of them to keep them strong, don't let any story, No matter how interesting it I'll attempt you to read in a dim light or a light that is too strong. And if you can't see the blackboard easily, or can't read big print, like the school calendar, across the room, tell your mother or your teacher, so that she can ask the doctor to find out what the matter island I be. A drink of water it is astonishing what thirsty work studying is. Scarcely is the second recitation over before your throat begins to feel dry. And up goes your hand, may I get a drink? If anyone even says the word, water, it makes you thirsty. It is so good that just the thought of it makes you want some. I should like you to notice how much water you drink every day. Perhaps a glass in the morning when you get up. And one at night before you go to bed. And three or four in between. Why do we need so much water? Well, how much do you weigh? Perhaps you will find it hard to believe. But more than half of that weight is water. And because we are always giving off water from the skin and from the body, we need plenty more to take its place. No living thing can grow without water. Take a bean, for instance, and put it in an empty glass on the windowsill, and even if the sun shines full upon it, nothing will happen, except that after a few days it will shrivel and dry up. But fill the glass with water, and in a few hours the bean will begin to swell, and in a few days it will burst and a little shoot will grow out of one end of it and a tiny root at the other. The water and the warmth together have made it sprout and grow. Children at school and people on trains should have their own private cups, for serious diseases may be caught from the mouths of other people. You can get a metal pocket folding cup for 10 or 15 cents, or paper ones for a few cents a dozen, if you don't have your own cup. I hope you will get one and carry it. Here is a pattern for a paper cup that you can easily make for yourselves. Try it and see. When you have once learned how, you can make it very quickly and have a fresh cup every time you want one, but of course you should be sure first that the paper itself is clean. If you drink milk, this takes the place of some of the water and gives you food as well. It is both drink and food, and a very good food for children at Island too. You know, babies can live on it because it has everything in it to make them grow. Do you know why it is that people are so careful nowadays about having milk and drinking water very clean? It is because they have found that the tiny plants, called germs, that make people sick are often carried about in these drinks. A disease called typhoid fever is carried in this way. Fifty years ago, 
cities and towns used to be very careless about where they got their water supply, and would often take it out of streams into which other cities emptied their sewage. Now, however, they are much more particular, and the health officers, or boards of health, are insisting that public water supply, such as is brought into our houses in pipes, shall be taken either from some spring or deep flowing well, or from a stream or lake up in the hills, into which no drainage from houses or farmyards, and no dirty water from factories, empties. Illustration, a pipe for the city water supply. This pipe is laid for many miles to bring water from the distant hills. We are still, however, far from being as careful as we should be about this, and I am sorry to say that America has had more deaths from typhoid fever than any other civilized country. Germany, which, of all countries in the world, is the most particular about keeping its water supply pure, has the fewest deaths from this cause, in proportion to its population scarcely one-fifth as many as we have. Therefore, by taking proper care, it would be quite possible to prevent at least two-thirds of our nearly 400.000 cases of typhoid fever and 35.000 deaths from typhoid, every year. It is not only cities and towns that ought to be careful of their water supply. In fact, now, out on the farms and in the healthy country districts, the death rate from typhoid fever has actually become higher than it is in our large cities. The main cause of this is the custom of digging the well in such a place that the wastewater thrown out from the house, or the drainage from the barnyard or the pig pen or the chicken house may wash into it, soaking down through the porous soil. Far more typhoid fever now is spread by means of infected well water than by any other means. Most dangerous of all is the leakage from the privy vault, as, by this means, the germs of typhoid fever and other diseases that affect the food tube and digestion may drain through the soil till they reach the drinking water in the well. These dangers can be avoided either by having the well dug at some distance from the house and in higher ground, or by having the drainage from the house, barns, and outbuildings piped and carried to a safe distance from the well. Fortunately, there are only a few kinds of germs that make us sick. Most germs are helping us all the time, we could not live without them. Some of them make our butter taste good, and others make our crops grow, and others eat up the dirt that would make us sick. But since disease germs are so tiny that we cannot possibly see them with the naked eye, we must know where the water and milk that we use come from, and whether or not they are perfectly clean. Boiling the water will kill these germs and make the water pure. It is better not to boil milk if it can be had from a dairy where the stable and the cows and the milkmen and the pails and bottles are quite clean. The fruits and fruit juices lemon and orange and raspberry and lime and grape give nice wholesome drinks. Homemade juices are much better than those you buy, you can be sure that they are pure and really made from fruit. And just here I want to caution you against buying pink lemonade or soda water or any other drink of that sort from the penny vendors and open stalls on the street. The drinks they sell are not made from pure fruit juices, but from different flavoring extracts that are made to taste like the fruit and are colored with cheap dyes. Even the sweetening in them is not pure sugar, and they are often made or handled in a careless, dirty manner, or exposed to the dust of the street, and to flies. Not long ago I was at the home of a friend where for supper we had the nicest grape juice I ever tasted. When I said, how good it is, one of the little girls piped up. Billy and I picked the grapes, and sister made it all by herself. She learned how at cooking school, when I was packing my suitcase to a leave. This little girl brought out a big bottle of grape juice and wanted me to take it with me to remember her by. It was all beautifully sealed with wax, 
and even this she had done by herself. Do you think I could have kept it that way very long? Perhaps not. It was so good, but if I had wanted it for a keepsake, I could have kept it, sealed as it was, for years and years, and it would have been just as sweet and fresh as when it was given to me. Suppose, instead of keeping it in its bottle, I had poured it out into a glass. Can you tell me what would have happened to it then? In a few days little bubbles would have come, one after another, up to the top of the juice, and soon it would have been all full of bubbles. What causes the bubbles? Floating all about in the air and sunshine are tiny specks called spores. These are to the tiny yeast plants what seeds are to other plants. Seeds fall into the ground and grow. But these yeast spores fall into the grape juice and grow. While they are growing in the grape juice, they eat what they want from the juice, and, as they eat, they make bubbles of carbon dioxide, which, you remember, forms in our lungs and looks like air, and of another substance called alcohol. Of course, when they have changed the juice in this way, it tastes very different. It is then what we call fermented. Fermented drinks are harmful, but some people like bubbling drinks so much that they leave good fresh grape juice open on purpose to let the little yeast plants get into it and make it into what we call wine. They treat apple juice in just the same way to make cider, and they even take fresh rye and barley and corn, and mash them up, and put yeast plants into the mash to ferment them and make them into a whiskey and beer. It does seem a pity, doesn't it? To take good foods like wheat and apples and grapes and make them into these things that really do us harm if we drink them. A very wise man named Solomon, who lived thousands of years ago, warned people not to drink wine, not even to look at it when it sparkled in the cup. He said no really wise man would drink it. Of course not, the wise man uses the food and drink that make his body grow strong and his brain work true. And no fermented drink can do that. There is no better drink for anyone than clear pure water, and no better food and drink in one than pure fresh milk. Be little cooks if you have to come so far to school that you cannot go back to dinner and so must bring a luncheon with you. Be sure to take plenty of time to sit down and eat it slowly and chew every piece of food thoroughly. Many children who bring luncheons to school just grab a piece of food in each hand and bolt it down as fast as they can possibly bite it off and swallow it, and then rush out to play. Play is good and very important, but you had better spare 10 or 15 minutes of it in order to chew your lunch thoroughly and swallow it slowly, and then to sit or move about quietly for a few minutes before starting to play hard. This will give your stomach a chance to get all the blood it wants to use in digesting the food, for, you remember, when you romp and play, your blood moves outward toward your skin and away from your stomach. Don't think that, just because you picnic that lunch. It is not as important as any other meal, I hope, however, that it will not be long before almost every school will have a school kitchen and a lunch room, first, so that every girl at least can learn to cook. It is well worthwhile being able to do, indeed, no girl ought to be considered properly educated until she has learned to cook, and no boy either, for that matter. Then, if the school has this kitchen, it can be used to furnish hot luncheons, or dinners, for those children who cannot conveniently go home in the noon recess. Hot lunches are much more digestible than cold ones, and they taste much better, and are much less likely to be eaten in a hurry. But why should we learn to cook? Why shouldn't we eat our food raw instead of taking all this trouble and pains to cook it? I know of a boy a big lazy fellow who was always forgetting to do things. He used to go away in the morning without leaving wood enough for the kitchen fire. So his mother said to herself one day, I'll teach him to remember, 
The next morning he went off again and left no wood. At noon he came back, hungry as a hunter. She called him and do dinner, and in he came. Sat down. Picked up the carving knife then he stopped. What do you suppose was the matter? The beef was raw. Then he lifted the cover of the potato dish. And there lay the potatoes raw. Then he tried another dish and found nice green peas. But hard as little bullets. They were raw. Two. Not even the bread had been cooked. It was a soft, sticky mass of dough. His mother, who was a jolly old lady, fairly shook with laughter when she told me about it. She said she never again had to tell him to split wood. Now that boy didn't need to be told one reason for cooking. We don't like our food raw. It doesn't taste so good. At first, perhaps, that doesn't sound like a very good reason, but it is more important than you think. For it is a fact that, just as soon as you smell food, your stomach begins to get ready the juice that is to digest it. If this very first juice, which is called the appetite juice, is not poured out, then the food may lie in the stomach some little time before it begins to be digested at all. So it is quite important that our food should smell and taste and look good, as well as have plenty of strength and nourishment in it. Another reason for cooking is that it either softens or crisps our food so that we can chew it better and digest it more readily. You know what a difference there is between trying to eat a raw potato and a nice, mealy, well-baked one, or trying to eat popcorn before it is popped and after. Another good thing, too, cooking does, which is very important. It kills any disease germs, or germs of decay, that may happen to have got upon the food from dust or flies, or from careless, dirty handling. Of course, some of our food, such as apples and other ripe fruits, and celery and lettuce and other green vegetables. We can eat raw and digest quite well, but we should be careful to see that they have been thoroughly washed with water that we know to be pure. Grocers often have a careless way of putting fruit and vegetables out upon open stands in front of the shop, or in open boxes or baskets inside the store, and leaving them there all day. This is very dangerous, because dust from the street, which contains horse manure and all sorts of germs, may blow in upon them. Flies, which have been eating garbage or feeding at the mouths of sewers, may come in and crawl over them. You ought to be very sure that anything that you are going to eat raw, or without thorough cooking, has been well washed. And you ought to ask your mother to speak to your grocer, if he is careless in this way, and have him keep his fruit and vegetables, as well as sugar and crackers and beans and dried fruit, either under glass or well screened from flies and dust. More important than almost anything else in good cookery is to keep the food and the kitchen and the dishes and your hands perfectly clean all the way through, so that nothing that will upset your digestion can get into the food. After things are well cooked, it is very important that they should be nicely served on clean dishes, on a clean tablecloth, with polished knives and shining spoons and forks. This means not only that everything about the table and the food will be perfectly clean and wholesome, but that you will enjoy eating it a great deal more. And when you enjoy your food, you remember, your stomach can secrete the juice that is needed to digest it, very much faster and better than when, as you say, you are just poking it down. If you have a school kitchen and a lunch room, you can learn the best way of cooking and serving things, and then, perhaps, you can do these same things at home and be a real help. Most children are fond of trying to cook, and I am glad that they are. Everyone. Boys and girls both, should know how to cook simple things, perhaps someday you will be stranded, like Robinson Crusoe, on a desert island, perhaps the rest of the family may be sick, 
How nice it would be for you to be able to prepare breakfast for them. I know a family where the youngest boy often rises early and gets breakfast for five. He can fry the bacon and boil the eggs and make the coffee and mush and biscuit just as nicely as his mother can, and he takes pride in it and enjoys it. Cooking is what we call an art. Everyone, of course, can learn to do it, but some people can do it much better than others. Just as some boys and girls can draw better than others. I hope some of you will be what we might call artist cooks. Take pride in the art and learn all that you can about it. There are so many things a cook should know. A great deal of good food is spoiled by bad cookery, particularly by frying slowly in tepid grease, or fat, so that it becomes soaked with grease. You should have the frying pan just as hot as possible before you begin to fry, and then the meat or potatoes or cakes will be seared, or coated over, on the outside, so that the fat cannot soak into them, and they will not only taste better, but will be much more digestible. In baking you will have to be careful not to let the oven become too hot or else the meat or bread will be burned or scorched. Even if the heat does not do this, it may harden and toughen the outside of the meat so that it is almost impossible either to chew or digest. Sugar is really a very good food if you do not eat too much at once, and so pure candy is good for you if you do not eat too much. The very best time to eat it is at the end of a meal. If you learn to make it at school or at home, you can always have some to eat after your luncheon without having to buy it. If you do buy candy, Don't get the bright colored kind, it looks pretty, but it may hurt you. And be sure to see that it has been kept under a cover, where the dust and flies could not get at it. Dust is dirty, and flies don't wipe their feet. You want clean, pure candy. Of course, after cooking, you will always be very careful to wash up all the pots and pans and dishes that you have used. Food and scraps that are left sticking to dishes and cooking utensils very quickly turn sour and decay and then the next time the dishes are used, you will perhaps have an attack of indigestion, and wonder why. There are two things you should always notice, whether the bread you eat is sweet and thoroughly baked, if it is soggy and sour, it will make trouble in your stomach. Whether all your food is clean and fresh before it is cooked, this you can tell by your eyes and nose, the eye, tasting and smelling when, at home, you give the baby a ball or a key or a watch to play with, what does he do with it the very first thing? He is never quite happy, is he, until he has put it into his mouth? Does he want to eat it? Remember he wants to feel it, and he has not yet learned to feel very carefully with his hands, as you do. Can you feel with your mouth? If you have the least little hole in one of your teeth, you know it as soon as you rub your tongue against it, how big it feels and how rough the edges seem. If you take a looking glass, you find, if you can see the hole at all, that it is just a tiny, tiny hole. Your tongue and lips, like the rest of your skin, are always touching and feeling things for you and sending messages to the brain. They say whether your milk is hot or cold, and whether the food you eat is soft enough and quite right in other ways. Your tongue is a very busy little waiter, he passes the food about in your mouth for the teeth to chew, and he rolls it about at a great rate. But he does more than this, he tells you something about how it tastes not everything, as you may think, but only whether it is bitter, sweet sour, or salty, queer as it may seem, your nose tells you the other tastes, which are really smells, it is your nose that says whether you have a strawberry or a piece of onion in your mouth, whether it is coffee or cocoa that you are drinking, of what other use is your nose, for only a little patch in the upper part is for smelling and tasting, the greater part of the nose is to breathe through, you see, 
your nose warms and moistens the outside air that you take in so that, by the time it reaches your throat, it is as warm as your body and does not hurt your throat. Your nose also strains, or filters, out of the air the dust, lint, and germs that may be floating in it. You should always keep your lips closed and breathe through your nose. Whenever you cannot breathe through your nose, there is something the matter. It may be that your nose is swollen shut with a cold, but that will last only a few days. If, however, your nose often feels stuffed up, there is probably something in it or behind it that ought to be taken away. A throat doctor can easily cure you, and, when he has, you'll be surprised how much better you feel and how much faster you grow. I once knew a little girl whose nose was always blocked up. She had headache and felt tired most of the time and was behind in her classes. The doctor told her what was the matter, but her father and mother were afraid that it might hurt her to have the doctor take out what was clogging her nose. Well, what did she do? Instead of crying and being afraid, one day she walked right into the doctor's office and asked him to take out the adenoids, as we call these growths that block up the nose, and after the doctor had taken them out, she began to grow well and fat and strong so fast that she soon caught up in her classes. When you breathe well through your nose, you can smell and taste better, too. In fact, when your nose is clogged, you cannot smell at all. How does the sense of smell help us? You say we can smell the flowers and the fresh air after the rain, and cookies baking, and all the things that we like so well. Yes, and these give us pleasure, but how about the bad smells? The bad smells are warnings. If there is a dead mouse or rat about, we smell it, and that leads us to look for it and take it away. We smell the dirt and get rid of it, and thus keep away sickness. When we walk into a room, if the air is bad we smell it at once and open a window or a door, and so save ourselves from being poisoned. Some people hurt their noses by smoking tobacco. The inside skin of the nose is very delicate, and the smoke.